And there we were. And there we were. Celebrating the day after Kyle turned how many years old? How old were you yesterday, your birthday? I was 36 years old. 30. Can we just celebrate? <laughs> Happy birthday, Kyle. I know we're a day late here, but we love you. and just want to celebrate your birthday, and you are such a gift to our church family from the very beginning, and it is an honor to listen to the ministry and your teaching of your word today. We love you. Love you very much, brother. Happy birthday. Thank you, John. I didn't know he was going to do that. As you well know, he is uh, inspired by God, and they call sometimes they call Je- God Jehovah Sneaky, and uh, that's our pastor. He's always up for fun, and I love being here at this church. So there I was. I was at the east side of New York in a place called Queens. Anybody been to Queens? Two people. Okay. Maybe somebody in the back. But New York, New York, I got to spend the week in New York with my family and my sons. And I was in Queens, and I was at a place called Flushing Market. And it was a really interesting place because I was like, wait a second, I didn't go on a mission trip, but now I'm on a mission trip. In the sense that everywhere I looked, there wasn't anybody who looks like me. Now, some of you are like, well, there ain't a lot of people who look like you anyways, but... But everyone was from all of these different nations. There were signs in every different language, Chinese, Japanese, Thai, Korean, Burma, all of the Orient was for all around me. There's like, I was, you have to order food in a different language. I didn't even know what I was going to get. I got this bowl of soup. I kid you not, squid gills in the soup. It was delicious. Don't be so judgmental, church people. It was great. We were in this oriental market, and, and all, of, all of the different nations. The mall area. See all the signs? You can't read anything. All, right in the middle. Christmas trees. Christmas villages. Songs that we all love. You know, K-Love and their Christmas music, all of that stuff. And nobody knew anything about Jesus. Now all the decorations, the trappings, the decorum, the lights, all of the show, but none of the substance. The wrappings, but not the present. They had everything but the gift. Is it possible that the nations are receiving the wrappings but not the gift. If you know the Christmas story, you know it starts with wise men from the East, wise men from the Orient, coming from the East, following the light that they see, the light that's been revealed to them, following the star, and what are they carrying with them? Gifts, and they're coming to see the one born king of the Jews. They're coming to see Jesus. The story starts with wise men coming from the east with gifts to Jesus. That's how the story starts. And I believe that's how the story will end. When wise men and women go to the east with the gift of Jesus. 
You see, the real meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is the hope of the nations. That's the meaning of Christmas. That those who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. That, that the infinite one became an infant. That the ancient of days wrapped himself in human form to be the savior of all mankind. Jesus is the hope for all. So when is this going to happen? When is Jesus going to come to Pakistan, Turkmenistan? When is he going to come to Saudi Arabia or Iraq or Japan or Burma? Very simply, when his body goes. Jesus will come to these nations and be their hope when his body goes. But there seems to be this disconnect because the head of the church, which is Christ Jesus, is telling his body to go that we are his hands and feet. And there seems to be this disconnect between the orders from the head and the activity of the body. So very simply, I wanna ask you some questions. Who will go? Who will go? Who will go to Azerbaijan? Who from this church will go to Iran? Which small group will just, just get up as a small group and go to Saudi Arabia? Who will go? Who will build an orphanage in Nepal? Who, who of you, among you has been blessed in business and you will now take that blessing and prosperity that you've received from the Lord and you will begin to be generous with what God has blessed you to establish a financial footprint to send missionaries all over the world? Who will do these things? Who will rally behind our KB42 initiative and mobilize local business leaders to advance the mission of God across the earth? You see, Jesus will come to these nations. Jesus will come to Flushing, New York and Queens only when the body obeys the head. Let us pray. Lord, we want to be obedient. Lord, amidst all the trappings and decorum and lights and displays of this holiday season, let us never forget the true meaning of Christmas, that you are the hope of all the nations. And as the world sits in darkness while we bathe in light, God, inspire us anew that the nations are waiting for the hope of the world. Amen. Turn in your Bible to Isaiah. Isaiah is a huge book in the middle of the Bible, and he's a prophet. He's prophesying right in the middle of the ancient kingdom of Israel. So it's right in the middle of the Bible, and it's right in the middle of the story. Theologians and preachers call Isaiah the fifth gospel. There are more prophecies regarding Christ and his ministry in Isaiah than any other prophetic book. 
It is a wonderful book to read around the holidays. I strongly recommend the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in the 42nd chapter. And this passage specifically is describing the Messiah and his ministry. It's talking about Jesus. This is a Christmas passage. This is talking about the Messiah. We're going to read verses 1 through 4. Here is my servant in whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will bring justice to the nation. Say it louder. To the nations. He will not shout or cry out or rise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And the smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged until he establishes justice on the earth. In his teachings, the islands will put their hope. Now that phrase, the islands, is a Hebrew colloquialism. It's a big word, but it means a Hebrew saying. In reference, it means the islands of the seas. It's another word, way of saying all of the nations or all the people or all the islands. And to just break this down really simply, I'm going to read the NLT version, which if you know me is a huge compromise, but I'm also wearing a tie, and I thought if I come a little your way, you could come a little my way, maybe we could compromise, it's the holiday spirit. Okay, so I'm going to read in the NLT, look at my servant whom I have chosen He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him. He will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not crush the, he will not crush, he will not fight or shout or rise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. You see, it was a little hard for me to read that version. I'm going against the grain, but here we are. You see, Jesus is the hope of all the nations. And what's interesting, but this is where we're at. That's the reality. That's the gospel truth. He's the hope of all the nations. But in Japan, they have Christmas trees, but they don't know why. They have the decorations. They can't tell you the reason why they're decorating. And I ask you very simply, why do you have a Christmas tree? What's the purpose of your Christmas tree? Do you know the story? Do you know the reason? Some of you are like, if I could get a little lower in my seat, he can't see me. You want to hear the story of the Christmas tree? It's about an axe-wielding, fiery German. Anybody know I'm German? And I have an axe. Some of you are like, out, check please. It's about the story of St. Boniface. Anybody have heard, heard the story of St. Boniface? Probably not. One person. Well, here we go. Church History 101. Acts Acts Boniface was an axe-wielding apostle. He came from England, and he preached the gospel in modern-day Germany. They call him the Apostle of Germania. Boniface came, and he would go into the forests, and he would preach. This is 
so many years ago. This was in the 8th century. This was hundreds and hundreds of years ago. He would go in the forest and preach the gospel to the people living in the woods at this time. And the people at this time in Germany were worshiping this huge oak tree. This oak tree was a symbol of their paganism. It was a symbol of their religion. And in fact, they weren't just worshiping. They were actually sacrificing their children to this ancient oak. And St. Boniface was really fiery. And he walks up in the middle of his sermon. He takes out an axe and he just swings it and starts to chop down the oak tree. Now the people are terrified because they think that their gods are gonna come out and smite Boniface. But what happens? Nothing happens. So then they get really, they're like, oh, this man is even mightier than our gods. And so then they start to listen and legend has it that the tree came tumbling down and all of a sudden, Boniface preaches Christ There begins to be revival in Germania. People begin to be converted. And a church is born. He actually takes the oak tree, chops it up, and builds a grotto. He builds like a canopy. It's the first church in Germany, which was built with the wood of their pagan oak tree. And in the canopy that is now open to the light for the first time, a little fir tree begins to grow, a little evergreen tree. And Boniface didn't leave. He stayed there with the people, educating them, bringing them to the light of salvation, telling them and teaching them about the hope of the nations. And the fir tree grows and grows. You see, a fir tree is evergreen. So Boniface uses this imagery. It never loses its leaves, which was dead in your religion. Now there's evergreen life, life to the fullest life for all time. He uses something they knew, which was trees. They understood trees. They knew that trees had religious significance and he used it. Now he never advocating worshiping a tree and you know, you can get on modern day YouTube videos and people get all crazy. That's not what we're advocating here. What we're advocating is that people were responding to the hope of the nations. And they began to understand the significance of the Christmas story, which is that the infinite became an infinite, that Jesus is the savior of mankind. So that's the real meaning and hope of Christmas tree. It's an angry apostle with an ax. So Merry Christmas. But that's okay because our hope should be somewhat purifying. There should be an element of of zeal and fire with our hope because I'll just go even further. Like when we talk about Christmas and we all get these pretty packages. Oh, wait, no. You have to activate your hope. That's lesson two. (laughs) But people, this is the problem. We live in a nation surrounded by light. We bathe in it. It's on our radios. It's a, there's a church on every corner. All of the nations have this light. There's a very purifying element to our society. We don't live in, in a relatively dark environment. We live in the light. We're accustomed to the light. We don't understand real spiritual darkness. If, some, if a demon manifested in the room, most of you would hit the door. Because we don't live in spiritual darkness. We live in a life 
a culture saturated with light. But the problem with is these other nations don't have that and all of their getting is the wrappings. They're getting our wrappings. Can you imagine on Christmas morning if everyone got the gift and the one thing that you got was the black trash bag with all of the wrapping paper in it? But that's what's happening, friends. These nations are taking our decorations, but they're not taking our salvation that is common to all because we're not going to them. There is a purifying element of hope, of Christian hope. First John tells us in the third chapter, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Who? Who? Everyone. Everyone. That is for all. The call for holiness and purity in the Christian faith is for all, not the select, not for the pastor, not for the small group leader. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. That means that God's plan for you is a plan of purity. And don't make the mistake of going, oh God, oh God, I want to be pure. Make me pure. What does it say? Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. That you're responsible for your own purity. Some people won't like that. Read the passage. But remember, the substance of our hope is in him. It's a purifying proclamation. But hope is purifying. It gets dangerous when people don't have hope. I think of the story of a town called Flagstaff, not the big famous one in Arizona. It's the one you never heard of, and this is the reason why. They decided that they were going to dam a lake. And this town was right in the middle of where the lake was going to be uh, created. They were damming a river, and they were making this huge lake for electric purposes. But this small little town... Everybody had to be evicted. The town bought the property and sent everybody out of the town. Now, can you imagine that edict? After six months, you have to be evacuated. They're going to buy your property. You have to leave. What do you think would happen to that town? People stopped cutting the grass. People stopped doing simple repairs. Weeds began to grow everywhere. Think the town was in disarray and shambles. People stopped picking up the trash. People stopped carrying. They stopped cutting the shrubs. They stopped turning on the lights. The entire town began to be in disarray because they had lost hope. Because they lost hope. They had not the purifying principle of hope. And just for this service alone, I like you guys. I'll tell you a story about rats. Psychologists did this study on rats. They took a rat, they put it in a bucket, they covered the lid, there was no light. Within five minutes, the rat would die. He would give up and drown. Same bucket, different rat, obviously. They cut a tiny hole in the top, just the, just the size of a pin where light could be shown the rat would swim for a total of five hours before it would drown. What is that showing you? The power of hope. Now, that's not very Christmassy. 
But some of you are going to go be with your families this week, and it might feel like you're winning a bucket of rats, but that's, uh, that's what we call drama. And I'm going to talk to you about this one, because this one's important, and it's important regarding hope. Because this is the deal. We're entering into the season where we go and we have interactions with our families. And some of us, this is a really big deal. You're actually dreading it. You dread the holiday season because of drama. And the reason is, is because of hope. Now, you don't normally think that this is a hope thing. This drama problem is not a hope. Because the reason that there's drama is because you don't have hope. You don't. Have patience. Now, many of us make the mistake of praying to God for patience. How many of you have done that? Oh, God, I need patience with my mother-in-law. Not you, mother-in-law. I love you, ML. (laughs) But some of us have these problems. They have these interactions, and they regret it. And it's that because they don't have hope that it can change in the future. If you have hope, you'll have patience. Hope and patience are sisters. They always go together. Hope and patience are sisters. You, when, you, when, when you're asking God, God, I, I, need, I need this to change, you gotta have hope. You have to believe and have faith that it will change, then your patience will come. Many people just pray for patience. You need to be praying for hope. Because hope and patience, they always go together. But hope is dangerous. It'll get you in trouble. And not just with your mother-in-law, hope will get you in trouble. Hope got Paul in trouble over and over and over again. Hope got me in trouble just this week. I was on the subway in New York. I was talking to a man from Bangladesh. He had a Salafist beard, which means he is an adherent to the faith of Islam, which means he is a true believer. He, he knows the tenets. He was literally reciting and praying the Quran while we sat on the subway, and I knew I had an obligation to tell him of the hope of the nations, but I also knew I could get in trouble. And I knew that what it says, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter. He will not be discouraged until he established justices on the earth. And I knew my hope could get me in trouble, so I began to start a conversation. I began talking to him, and I immediately went, you believe in the judgment? And he goes, I do. I do believe in the judgment. And I go, so do I. And he goes, and I'm like, what are you going to do when you stand before God at the judgment? He goes, I hope that I've done enough good. That was his answer, friends. And I looked at him and I said, Jesus, did you know that Jesus is going to judge you at the judgment? And he goes, no, 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 my friend. Only God can judge me. And I said, exactly. And then I left. (laughs) You got to get out of there. Yeah, I made it back to you guys. <laughs> but your hope can get you in trouble. It can get you in trouble. Listen what happened to Paul in the New Testament. Acts in the 23rd chapter. Concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged. Continuing in the 26th chapter. And now I stand and am judged by the hope of the promise God made to the fathers. In the 26th chapter again, the 7th verse. For this hope's sake, I am accused by the Jews. And for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. Hope 
will get you into trouble. Have you gotten in trouble for your hope? Has anyone told you, you hope too much? They should. Hope is a powerful thing, friends. Maybe it's one of the only things that lasts. And these three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I was in traffic on the outskirts of Brooklyn. And we were sitting in the traffic and there was a bus on the left and there's a car on the right. And it was in this weird situation where I was like, are we moving? I don't know. You ever had that happen? Like at a red light, you're like, am I moving or are you moving? Am I moving or are you moving? It's like this awkward thing. So what do you always do? You slam on the brake. No? Remind me, never get a ride with any of you people. You slam on the brake because you don't know if you're moving or aren't they're moving. You, you, there's this ambiguity, this, this drift, this shifting standards of security. And this is the culture we're in. You see, what was a certainty 50 years ago is now not. What was a moral certainty, what was a moral right, what was an absolute is now an ambiguity, which is now a drift. Well, that's what you think, and I have my think, and, and, and sometimes it stinks, but it's just two separate things. We've lost our security, our break. Now, in ancient times, they didn't have brakes, they didn't have cars, but they did have boats. The ancient vehicles were boats. And boats have anchors. And in a time of ever-increasing drift, where morality begins to slide, which were once certainties and securities, are now relative. You need now more than ever the great anchor of our souls, Jesus. Hebrews tells us, in the sixth chapter, that God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immobility of his counsel. He confirmed it by an oath that by these two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that was set before us. The hope we hold as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters into the presence behind the veil, which the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the hope and anchor of our souls. And if Jesus is the hope and the anchor, his word is the chain that secures the anchor. For the Bible says in Psalms in the 130th chapter, we hope in your word. In the 119th chapter of Psalms, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. It continues, my soul longs for salvation, I hope in your word. G.K. Chesterton, the great theologian, says, hope means nothing when things are hopeless. It is only 
when things are hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Hope means hoping when things are hopeless or it is no virtue at all. As long as the matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude. It is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to be a strength. Some of us, some of us feel hopeless. I want to remind you that Jesus is the hope for all. That the hope of the gospel is a purifying hope. That we are to walk in purity and holiness and live in complete, complete loving surrender. That your hope is dangerous when you start taking risks for God. But hope is our anchor, trusting in no other security. In a storm, the captain always trusts the anchor. And knowing this, I want us to think about the great blessed hope. This season is about celebrating his birth. We must fix our eyes on his return. That is what the Bible calls the blessed hope. Yes, he came as an infant, but one day he will split the sky as king to rule and reign for a thousand years. And all the tears that you shed now, there'll be no more tears. The Bible says he'll wipe away every tear. He'll wipe away every tear. And, and so many of us are worried about these Christmas problems and all the things associated with the holidays and oh, how they just pour out and all these problems. This does not affect this. These things don't affect what's on the inside. It's what's on the inside that affects the outside. We are not, we are not thermometers who just rise and fall with what's going on around us, but rather as Christians, we're thermostats. Hear the prophet of Isaiah. Hear the message. Hear the message. He says this. This is the message. He says, a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Did you catch that? A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Now many of us, we used to burn for God. We used to have a passion and a zeal and a, and a heart for the things of God. But for some of us, Life and circumstance and sin and selfishness have quenched our fire. And we're like a smoldering wick. But the prophet says that a smoldering wick, Jesus will never do this. He will never snuff you out. As long as there's a hint of flame, as long as there's a hint of smoke. See, the, on, the only thing that is needed is for the fire to come again for the fire to come again. Some of us, we used to burn. We used to be passionate. We used to be zealous. And what you need is for the fire to come again. The Bible says that God is a consuming fire. The answer is God. Intimacy with him, a love life with heaven, his presence. In his presence, all problems are secondary. The answer is the fire.